1: Welcome to New Books in Language. Today I'm talking to Theo van Leeuwen about his book, The Language of Colour. The book presents an introductory account of the role of colour as an aspect of visual communication. In this interview, we discuss the many uses and meanings of colour throughout history and across different cultures, the various influences on colour meaning, from perception all the way to folklore, and the role of social semiotics in reconciling these factors. We consider how the meaning of colour has been exploited by artists and designers from antiquity through the Renaissance to the present day, And explore how the language of colour has come to such prominence in contemporary life. Today, we welcome Teo van Leeuwen of the University of Technology, Sydney, to talk about his book, The Language of Colour. It's a very interesting and readable introduction to the study of colour as an aspect of social semiotics. Teo, you mentioned in the preface that color is an underappreciated and understudied aspect of visual communication. How did this book come about? Yeah, precisely
0: because uh, it was, I uh, in my own work, also understudied. I'd been writing about visual communication and teaching about visual communication for some time. And at a certain point, um, yeah, after, I suppose, in the uh, uh, 10 years in, I suddenly started to realize that um, I had. Not talked a great deal about color, and I began to to wonder why that was, um, and there were perhaps uh, several reasons. You know, the first is that I just fell unwittingly into a tradition that had been there for several hundred years, uh, where color had been somewhat. Undervalued and you know and this started historically in in the Renaissance when the vivid colors of the middle ages made played for made place for chiaroscuro, you know for the for the for the light and dark um, uh, kind of gradations of um, mm-hmm paintings rather than for for expressing directly with colors when uh um, so um and when also uh, the practice of artists uh, changed in that they thought the work was really finished when they had done the design and they could leave the coloring to their assistants Color became a bit secondary, and in talking about color, there was also this idea that really the essence of what communicates in, in visual communication is the design, and the color is a sort of secondary uh phenomenon that's added to it and and um at best give some kind of uh, emotive overtone or something like that and so there's that but also i realized that i began to think about it because i had a feeling that um as it were colour was coming back um changing um the that the way colour was being used changed. Uh, color became, you know, all kinds of uh, documents, you know, that um, used to be austerely black and white, you know, and never have a touch of color became quite colorful, even sort of, you know, corporate annual reports, textbooks, all kinds of things that, would, that used to be quite dry and dour became colorful. Websites, of course, are colourful, uh, and um, you know, colour became very important in branding, and the whole world you know, became, in a sense, uh, more colourful than it had been. You know, we used to have sort of, um, you know, g- g- fairly drab colours of the public transport and things. You know, and um, and suddenly, you know, the the um, uh, these kind of uh, things in the city became more 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 colourful, um, and uh, People who would be highly dressed in gray began to wear at least colorful ties and I felt color was got a new role and a new importance in society so it was time to think about it a little bit more, and I began to work with my students as always to sort of develop um, ideas and read um about color, and uh, after having done that for a few years, um, I sort of recorded what I had learned and thought so far about color in uh, in this little book.
1: And you begin by tracking some of the ways in which the interpretations of color have varied across time and place, and the various attitudes to color that have been exhibited by artists and philosophers over the centuries. Does this inconstancy or instability surprise you when you look back over it? Certainly, you know, maybe it didn't so much um,
0: surprise me, but it, it certainly made me more aware and adjust how varied um, the ways can be that the same signifiers, as we say in semiotic, the same colors in this case, uh, can be given such. Different meanings and values in different times, in different cultures, and even in different domains within a given culture. You know, and um, so uh, it showed. You know, it was turned out to be an important kind of subject for social semiotics, because in social semiotics we want to be semiotics, which means what kind of you know. Perceivable objects like or perceivable qualities uh, of of things like color uh, can be mean or communicate or express what kind of things, but you know it being social semiotics is that you also want to look at how does that come about? how do people create these things and uh, you know although there have been there are certain discourses that think that you know, the meaning that there are sort of universal um, deep meanings of colour shared by all human beings, um, looking carefully at colour across cultures in, in history shows you know just how different and how varied the things are that we can do with the same colours in uh in everyday and sometimes in uh, you know high art um Communication and expression, so therefore, I thought that color was actually a really good thing for social semiotics to to focus on, and that some of the lessons we learn about that enormous variety you know we should begin to look at other modes of communication and also see how how that same discovery if you like you know uh, applies to um, to uh, across the board even in things that we think are quite stable and quite um, universal that's not to say that there is nothing that is that is universal you know um, there are qualities of color you know that um, that such as that they might be dark or light that relate to universal human experiences but what values there are are given to that and how these things are incorporated in specific communication or expressive sort of you know um domains um that can still vary enormously so yes there's a, a, that that that's really that's been really one of the things that most that struck me most about color and that made it that 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 made this book a little bit different from other things I've written because I had to pay more attention to that variety to that historical background to the cultural difference, is looking at anthropological literature and so on.
1: And throughout your book, you bring out this interesting creative tension between the different levels of explanation that have been applied to color from the, uh, if you like, very hardcore psychophysical approach of which cells on the retina perceive which colors which are focal as a result of that, uh, right down to uh, folk stories, if you like, about the significance of one color and traditions about what constitutes a Uh, a holy or a spiritual or a a colour with certain other particular values. Where would you place your own work on that continuum or are you uh, adopting a very holistic attitude to it? I did look, Yeah,
0: first of all, I did look at a very wide uh, variety of literature because Color has been written about in very many different in different contexts. You know, it's been written about as a as a physical science. It's been written by about by anthropologists, by philosophers, uh, by historians, um, and so on. So um, I I begin, you know, by uh, even though I'm always interested in the idea of semiotics, in the idea of how do we use, you know. um Materials, qualities of materials, movements, you know, sounds, and so on, to um, to communicate. You know, that is the essence of it. Uh, I did want to sort of learn from uh, from a variety of things, but the, the the big, of course, if you write a book, you must try and, and bring some some order into all this variety. And so I did. I was able to sort of see, you know, three uh, main strands that sort of had specific historical origins in in the Western history of color, uh, but that now are all sort of present, uh and that are all ways in which we can talk and think about color. We can think about colour as um symbolizing meanings and that's, you know, um was of course a very fundamental and central in the Middle Ages through all these examples of, you know, religious um, color meanings, uh, um, that the symbolic religious symbolism of color in the Middle Ages that um, with the aid of some excellent historians in this field, I've been able to sort of um, write a bit about. Uh, then came the sort of the age where of science, where uh, from in 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 visual communication, the color symbolism receded and um, there were no more books published about the meaning of color and so on. And what was important now was to to render color in such a way that it would correspond to reality, that it would look as much as possible to the way colors look in reality, uh, in particular Light circumstances and so on and so on uh, that and uh, in which color also became uh, science itself, and then more recently you know we have the the sort of psychological discourses about color in which color colours have some kind of you know, in which people have some kind of innate preference for certain colors that relate to their character and in which colors can influence, can excite, can actually have a, a, a non-semiotic direct effect kind of influence on us, uh, through, um, you know, can, can excite us or calm us down and so on and so on. So, so these different, uh, so these are three main tendencies that have Dominated in different eras, and now we sort of seem to have them all together, and um, and but shifting a little bit in in which things are dominant. And I think that uh, symbolism, uh, naturalism, is still very important. You know, the main aim of photo- photography, whether uh, analogue or digital, is still to have natural colors. You will find that you know, it repeated a lot. Uh, same. Um, that's still important, but symbolism is coming back. Uh, not, you know, for example, in 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 branding and so on, and um, is starting to play the meaning of color is starting to play a more important role. But now not in relation to religion, but more in relation to um, the sort of value system of our our modern corporate, you know, global corporate color, uh, which finds its expression in these. Um, Colourful and um, new style of, of texts and in corporate colours and so on. But that's coming. That's coming back. And at the same time, the psychological discourse of colour is still very, very present. Uh, if you look at, um, you know, um, magazines of interior decoration magazines, I've done a bit in my book. Then you can find these kind of, you know. Colors as expressing personality or character, um, you know, or um, is still still very strongly there, and in the discourse of color experts, that's still very very important. Uh, So, so we have these different kinds of meaning now, but shifting gradually, uh, gradually moving back more to the possibility of color of 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 being symbolic, um, and um, so. So where do I stand myself in all that? Um, Well, I do believe that uh, colors have specific colors that you encounter in specific circumstances have you know characteristics that um, that form the. That can form the departure point for interpreting them, particularly if we don 't have a ready made sort of scheme so i'm, I'm not um, so I, I think we need to look at the nature of the physical nature of color and its its aspects, but at the same time, uh, I do not believe that um, that there are sort of universal uh, color meanings i think if you look at different you know, at how differently people have interpreted and valued color in different circumstances it then becomes a little bit difficult to defend and that is where I want to help my students because given the scarcity of discourses on color meaning when I started out thinking about it or, or the idea that you know it just means whatever you want it to mean in a given circumstance they needed a bit of guidance and all they could find was these lists Red means this, green means that, you know, which if you put them side by side, you know, are often very different and nevertheless have a sort of claim to discover a sort of universal scientific meaning or effect of color. So This is something, you yeah, know, that the semiotician um, can't really believe in and that the historian also can't believe in. So that's one strong point I make. And I also, the other strong point I make is that actually, many aspects of our scientific uh, theory of color uh, leave out, uh, you know, make certain things central, for example, hue, whether it's red or green, which are not always and at every time and in every context the central characteristics of colors as they actually, um, as as we actually encounter them. So anthropological examples often are very striking, that where people call um, two things that we think are very different colors, like red and blue, uh, for example, uh, have the same word for it, um, because what they first of all look at is not actually who, whether it's red or blue, but some other aspects that to them, in the context of their world, is more important. For example, how, um, how much the color, how lustrous it is, how much it reflects light. Things that are, you know, in the Western system, have been sort of secondary so um so I think uh overall you know my uh, bias or my interest is in understanding the uh, how we how we create meaning, including that psychological meaning uh, but reinterpreting it as something that came about in a particular period you know for particular Historical reasons, um, and rather than as actually being a sort of um, universal truth, that's the that's how a semiotician uh, would term um, would think about it.
1: Sure. To take up the point, you uh, talk later about Berlin and Kay's work on the on the putative universal yeah. categorization of color. Yeah. Do you feel that work has been uh, too ethnocentric and overinterpreted? Yes, that is certainly an argument I make that. Um, you know, uh, there,
0: that in the main, you know, you have to be nuanced. There were some aspects of it that were of, you know, of interest. But in the main, it has been um, that's taken the assumption that everybody um, sees color more or less in the same way and gives prevalence to hue. To and um it's used as its stimulus material not colors in context, but sort of color charts which are you know developed on the basis of theories and so on and so on so i i, I explain a number of of reasons why um uh, that come out of uh, the same kind of anthropological literature that they actually cite um and and out of, uh, out of other sources uh, to question that particular uh, Theory has been has been very very dominant, and it doesn't mean that you then you know that by rejecting that theory that you then um, end up not being able to say anything and anything goes. You know there are still uh, there are still um, principles to be discovered and um, general principles of how we might look at color, but ones that actually um, just discover and sort of meaning potential, uh, and that cannot be really understood unless you also understand and look at the context in which these colors are named. In the case, the you know, color names are very important, for Berlin, okay, named and talked about, and how people use them, how they talk about them, how they interpret them, and so on. So uh, yes, I, I, um, I do take um, a stance. Against it but at the same time I want to say that there are uh, degrees of universality you know, there are certain things like for example um, the difference between dark and light that's an important aspect of any color as you encounter it in in, in Uh, That is, of course, based on experience that all human beings have in common. Uh, But, however, how they interpret it, you know, um, and and what meanings of darkness and lightness they give, uh, the uh, you know the most emphasis in a given culture might still influence, you know, how what dark and light actually are to mean and how they are actually uh, interpreted. But yes, I mean, we need to look also at. Uh, which aspects of color are related to um, to universal experience, so that there is at least a basis for some understanding across different color systems, and some motivation for saying maybe we should choose this color or that color to express a given kind of concept, idea, or
1: whatever. One theme that uh, is relevant to that, that I think emerges in your work, is the idea that these um, dimensions of meaning are, are interrelated, and in particular it struck me that the um, a lot of the aspects of color meaning are, in some sense, mediated through technology and technological change. It makes, it makes a profound difference to what is available and what interpretations are liable to be placed on these things. Yeah, that is absolutely, that's
0: something that uh, is it's good that you uh, mentioned it, because um, in much semiotics and also in, in thinking about language, um, technology has not been incorporated as being part of how you make meaning. It's been seen as just sort of a tool and it's, it's as though the meanings are quite separate from, from technology, but they're not. You know, uh, technology both influence, influences and is influenced by what people want to communicate and how they want to communicate it. So when specific colors, you know, when, and that again, you can start by historical sort of, um, examples to, to, to show that, you know, when, um, when, specific colors, you know, have specific symbolic meanings, then they've got to be exactly that color. You can't sort of uh, shade it too much because then they may become a little bit like another color. So, you you know, uh, and so you have a sort of palette with many different colors which have their meaning. Um, uh, and these colors are also, um, these meanings are not only based or on, they're, they're partially based on what that substance, that for example, the paint, say, actually is. um, Mm -hmm. Before the modern industrial methods, uh, paints had to be made from all manner of substances that were often very hard to obtain. So colors had value, not just because of what they intrinsically were, but actually about how much they cost. And uh, people who commissioned paintings would say, this particular color has to be it. And uh, so how they technically were produced and what they meant were interrelated. Then you get, you know, uh, not each individual color, you know, because also, of course, if you have such a very expensive color, the last thing you want to do is is mix it with other things you want it there in its purity. And in the age of naturalism and, you know, an emphasis on faith, trying to make colors faithfully reproduce the world, um, there was also the age in which color mixing came in. And in which paints therefore did not have an intrinsic value anymore. In which you don't say, "I must have this particular paint and undiluted." So, you, and you got a new technology, uh, new kinds of paints, oil paints that could be mixed uh, better. Uh, new kind of theory about color mixing, about meanings, and so on. Uh, today we have um, we have again new color technologies that. Um, can make that, that allow us to do things with color that we used to do, and that are now necessary. We now are, uh, for example, um, color is now also used, you know, to organize um, and written texts. To color certain kinds of content to give them a different color maybe as background or something then other kinds of content whether in magazines or textbooks and and we have uh we have software uh you know if we do um html writing then we can choose and you know then we can have a style sheet cascading style sheet where we can have the color that will make that will give a sort of unity to all the pages um of, of, of websites and sort of separate it uh, to some degree from the many many other pages to which it. it is linked. You know, um, so we have new technologies that do new uh, where you can do new kinds of things with color that we used to do. For example, in, in apply it to writing when we make PowerPoint slides, when we you know when we do various kinds of documents, um, we couldn't do that with typewriter. So we can't do it with our modern kind of thing. So, what we do with color, what color is used for, what it means, and technologies—they—they they are mutually—they influence each other mutually. But you can see that, you know, of course, um, avant-garde artists and designers in the early 20th century already began to do these things before we had these technologies that make made it as easy as it is now. So, it actually, technology is always intricately related to making meaning and in the case of color you know which is completely dependent you know the use of color for um making things that mean or expressing is totally dependent on the industries that provide the the paints the inks
1: the dyes the, the nowadays the software and so on you make the point going back to the um, going back to antiquity that there was a uh, that unmixed colors were prized for their purity um but presumably that was that was in some sense a technological uh, observation that because what were what unmixed colours were of course not what we would consider um, primary colours on any definition but were the colours that yeah. were available in particularly um, yeah. pure yeah. form and which absolutely
0: right. absolutely although people talked about you know although people classified colour they were not primary colours in the modern sense you know in the sense of these are the fundamental you know colours from which all other colors can be mixed. You know, the the, the, the realm of colors was quite uh, extensive. But so, but I think in in purity, you know, um, there is a that's partially technical, but it is it is also a value system. You know, uh, where purity as a concept, as an idea, you know, uh, is is highly highly valued. And sometimes, and that can vary. You know, more recently in 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 postmodern thinking. The opposite of purity, hybridity, and so on was began to be highly valued and began to be seen as something something dominant and something good, so it varies you know um, but there have been significant periods in antiquity, and again you know in other periods where purity purity was a very important idea, and where the idea of purity could be expressed amongst other things by by uh, preferring pure colors just as you know other values like being restrained is also been often a, a key thing you know a restrained color um, too much too many different colors too strong color being um, too exuberant too extravagant you know too um um Hedonistic or whatever, you know, certain, the values of, of being restrained, uh, you know, have at times also been, um, highlighted. So, colors can, the color schemes and ways of using color, um, that have, that relate directly to the, you know, the choice of colors, you know, have you got a very differentiated range of different colors or you just use a few Colors, all those kind of things can actually um, relate to uh, dominant values in the culture or the part of the culture where where these uh, colors are used in a particular way. That's uh, that's another you know interesting interesting um, aspect to look at, particularly when you look at um, what the dominant characteristics are of various color schemes that are being applied to different. Um, parts of um, texts or media or whatever.
1: I found intriguing in that respect your um, brief discussion of the uh, palettes uh, adopted by various painters up to Matisse, mm. um, in, in, in the sense of not not the colors that appeared on the canvas or on the on the surface, but the colors which they worked with. Yes. Presumably that reflects some kind of, well, tension between practicality, but also some kind of intuitions as to what is or ought to be primary. Yes. Yes, Uh, and I
0: I would be the first to say that this idea that I have, as you rightly say, uh, only very sketchily indicated that idea, but that was because a lot of talking about the meaning of colour has been always related to individual colour. So, coming back to the example, red means this, green means that, yellow means that, purple means that, and I began to think that perhaps today you know, um, a color schemes you know the, um, the, the are more important. You know, when in our modern technology, uh, that's what we offer: color schemes. I'm having a little project, uh, research project at the moment about PowerPoint and how it's used, and you can clearly see that built into the software. Are not just individual colors, although you can pick out one if you want to, but are actually combinations of colors um, that have been thought out by the designer and that you sort of can choose between. Um, similar, then, then of course, the idea of um, the palette of you know the, the of of painters uh, becomes an interesting historical example to sort of see. Okay, well, that's what they actually did. They actually they actually decided in one way or another these are the fundamentals that i need to do these these are the, the range of differences between colors that, that are my basic working materials. and quite different from the scientific schema of just you know red uh, green and, uh, red yellow and blue or something like that so uh, there's some there is some interesting writing about um, particularly by the um, excellent um, Color historian John Gage about the, the palettes of painters and I could glean a little bit of uh, information from that but I think it's um, it's um, a topic that could be taken uh, much further still than, uh, and that uh, we've really only made sort of the beginning of um, an attempt to see on the basis of what kind of parameters uh, might you be able to sort of investigate the um, rationale and
1: behind it, the choices of what is part of the color scheme or the palette. Yep. You talk about color harmony in, in some more detail in that yep. same chapter, chapter 3. Uh, again, this struck me as something that was interesting because of the way in which considerations, presumably from low-level perception, not quite as low-level as simply the uh, detecting the colors to which we have retinal responses, but also some sort of higher-level Organization of the of the visual field interfaces with this affective response to give you some uh, some idea of what is uh, what is coherent and what what it means yeah. if you put two colors together. Yeah. Um, well, so uh, the first
0: point there is that traditionally um, the idea of color harmony was entirely based on the theory of the the primary colors, you know, and so. Uh, uh, and many people have put that in practice. Uh, so my, uh, sort of thought was that many people have thought similar things before, but not perhaps taken it then to the next step. Uh, that there are many other, um, one, that there are many other aspects of color that can make them, um, harmonize, that the idea of harmony can be based on, on, on different principles. And that uh we don't only look on again not only look at well at hue but that we can look at a whole lot of other characteristics of any colour as you actually encounter it uh you know it's um uh, and not even just its darkness or lightness or its saturation but other things as well it's it's um you know. Light quality, luminescence, or luminosity, um, um, whether it is pure or whether it is um, variegated, all these kind of things can actually form principles um, that make color, that create similarities and differences between colors. And of course, harmony doesn't only mean that they are all the same, uh, harmony. In music, as I say somewhere, you know, is um, actually includes always dissonances that get resolved. So in color schemes, you also often find, you know, um, some colors that actually some some elements that sort of make them similar, but also some elements that. Um, Provide some difference and some punctuation in in it. Um, And so I'm searching for the the principles, you know, the the many different principles that can make, that can be behind the choice of what palette or what, you know, um, set of cars to use. And if you look at, um, so it's interesting then to look at, you know, statements. Uh, by designers about what the colors they use. And I find it particularly interesting to look at fashion designers talking about color because, um, they actually talk often in that way. You know, they sometimes, uh, as things not in terms of what belongs together, but also in terms of things that, uh, that provide challenging contrast and that brings the, the whole to life and so on. So, yeah, uh, the key thought is perhaps we would have to move uh, today from analyzing the from the idea that an individual color such as red or green has meaning to um, thinking that, you know, we encounter colors, you know, that are deliberately produced to create meaning in terms, oftentimes in terms of color schemes and um We might, while in the sort of colour coding of uh, of traffic signs or um, or uh, underground London underground railway things, each individual colour definitely denotes something different. In the world of colour that we have in our uh, in our the objects we use. clothes we wear, the the, the use of color in magazines and on websites, Uh, color schemes would appear to be a more important thing to know how to talk about and how to interpret uh, as the semiotic sort of idea or system behind how the colors are used in that context.
1: So in Chapter 5, when you would lay out your parametric theory of color, inspired by the sort of feature-based um, logical analysis. Uh, is that, in some sense, um, incrementing the, the basic colorimetric kind of approaches with, this, with these notions of, of context and affect, or are you building anew from the ground up? No, I mean,
0: all those all those aspects have been, you know, I mean, um, I just bring together, you know, aspects of color as we encounter it um, that often have been remarked upon before and that you also find um, uh, discussed in anthropological literature as being important in, in different traditional cultures. But I sort of bring them together to sort of have a wider range of things to look at when you talk about the meaning of color. And uh, as a sort of basis for for how we how we analyze color, and um, so it's actually not a, it's not a high, and the important thing is that it's not like a hierarchical system of primary and secondary and tertiary colors. It's uh, it's a it's a system which is. Of simultaneous, you know, of things that are all always present to some degree, but that can be mixed to, to, you know, in in the whole to 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 different degrees. So, uh, but to get, you know, but I also also say like you can describe for each of those parameters a very broad meaning potential that is based on what it really is you know that the fact that it is actually uh, light or dark or uh, strong or weak you know in some kind of way, but what meanings how people use these these physical um, perceptual or perceptual qualities of uh, of a given color in making meaning of it cannot be understood without also taking the the context into account, you know um so you cannot ever have uh, a decontextualized list of this is what it means, and I'm sometimes misunderstood that when I try to try to sort of describe. Um, the meaning potential of something, you know, um, people then think, okay, that's that's fine, I can now say dark means this and light means that, it's not quite, it's not like that. But there are certain characteristics of color that motivate and inform how in a given context uh, people try to make, uh, use color to make meaning. So you always got to study, you know, so you got to look at it in, in in context, and that's interesting because in a way I sometimes think I didn't so much say that in the book, but that m- much of our communication today is quite deliberately becoming more context um, dependent. I was, you know, for a time we've had the idea that we could write something. And all the meaning would be in it and it would be exactly communicate the same thing and be exactly understood by everybody in the same way. Whereas now we realise that, you know, um, oh it's not so much that we realise it, but that we also create um, things to be used in particular context, augmented by people's reactions and interactions and so on. Um, and so uh, so the time is right to sort of uh, to sort of Indicate that, but for some domains where we have mandatorily fixed the meanings so that they cannot be interpreted differently and very explicitly, it, to a large extent, the meaning of color is uh, not kind of fixed authoritatively by codes or um, so the equivalent of dictionaries or grammars, but uh, is a contextual, a contextual use of the potential meanings that derive from these color parameters. And so that it means that, that the meaning of color in those kind of domains, where it isn't strictly codified, um, remains quite fluid and, and can develop. You know, um, uh, it's not held back by authoritative codes that prevent you from... Playing with it and um, creatively using that meaning potential.
1: If it's not an unfair question, what would a an what would an analysis look like within your parametric framework of color? I mean, what would what would be the object of analysis, and how would the analysis sort of? You know? Yeah. Well, the object of analysis would first of all be to to be able to
0: observe. You know, even if you don't have. Always an exact metric you know and um, to observe uh, to be open to and observe all these qualities of color so to look at uh, to look at things well you know uh, to, to to try to, to to have these terms to talk about and maybe to compare notes on you know with other people um you know would we call this um Dark or, uh, or where, where would you put this on the scale from dark to light or from saturated to pale and so on and so on? Then we would say, okay, uh, now that's we've we've made an observation of these qualities. But um, what else do we know about what what's happening here? You know, what is there a story or is there? A, uh, uh, how can we how can we um, bring in some of the Context to interpret why, um, how that particular meaning potential is used in this given instance. So I, I give um, um, some um, examples, you know, uh, of of that kind of analysis. And so the, in that analysis, there's always uh, a, a part of it that we can, that I believe we can reasonably agree, come to an agreement upon. I think we can agree that the colours in one of my examples are very strong and in another example are quite sort of watercoloury, wishy-washy colours. That is, you know... The next step is ultimately an interpretation, but the interpretation will be stronger if it is based on various kinds of arguments that relate that place, place the use of color in in its context. So that's really the plea that I make for interpretation. That's really what I try. So it could be that I recognize that I can see. it could be as when I, obviously when I discuss um you know for example uh, van gogh you know um then uh, i not only note that you know the tension in his work you know to still be naturalistic to faithfully represent color as he sees it and to use color expressively uh, for their inherent sort of symbolic potential and um but I also think that if you if you can then show that uh you know the artist had deliberately thought about it and has actually said something about it that strengthens the argument um so you can argue that uh you can certainly argue on the basis of uh, the painting by itself that um You can find out that that the background um, is just a strong color, and that it hasn't represented the environment in which the particular person who sat for the portrait uh, was. So that it is more abstract. Uh, You can make those kind of arguments. You can also bring in other arguments, or you can bring in arguments of the kind that art historians, you know, and art chronologists have always used, but that. Semiotic interpretations of images have not always issues So I'm, I'm for a, a combination of the, the historical methods and the analysis, the analysis of what's actually there. Um, and in a methodically enough way that you have at least a number of parameters that you, um, can, uh, look at and that you can, uh, swap notes about and that you can make reasonably, um, reasonably uh, reliable uh, descriptions of and you, you don't straight away jump to the interpretation you start with what's actually there
1: uh, you make the point when you go on to talk about the use of colour um, in a very much more aware self-conscious fashion in uh, 20th century art that some critics have failed to appreciate what the artists themselves have said about their intention in using colour that way you mention um, the analysis of the work by Barnett Newman. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I, I
0: feel quite strongly about it because, um, you know, I think that um, uh, I have come to the idea that. Um, um, artists and um, you know for two things you know in in a time when there is actually much renewal uh, such as for example the the crucial early 20th century you know avant-garde uh, period but also the Renaissance you know there tends to be uh, you know a connection between the world of of thought. You know, and the world of art. You know, artists are not the mystical, you know, um, uh, individuals who, who 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 draw everything from some kind of divine inspiration. They're part of their world. They read and and in. Times of innovation actually are very. are simultaneously ideas that are come about by thinkers of various kinds. Uh, you know, in, in the Renaissance, scientists, but more, but in the early 20th century, for example, psychologists. You know. Um, and these two things are part of the same culture. And painters are, uh, are actually or the painters of that kind are often yeah they are researchers in my view. They research uh, new ideas and they explore problems of various kinds and resolve them uh, through their medium. So uh, when um, when the paintings of Barnett Newman, for example, are interpreted by It's by his interpreters as just sort of dealing with existential angst, and they don't realize that he was actually a deep thinker about color who just happen not to use words like me, but actually use color to think about color, uh, then I find that, um, yeah, a bit short-sighted, you know. I'm not saying that that's the only thing, the only way you can interpret it, but it is an important dimension. So I'm trying to actually describe the work of artists as, um, as, as a form of research, as, as, as posing problems that have to relate to, for example, to color, and as seeking solutions for that. And in the case of Bynett Newman, again, we have somebody who actually also, like Van Gogh, said that in words. So the evidence is there, that it's not a figment of my imagination, but that he was actually, you know, himself seeing it in, the, in those ways too, even though the other side applies too, because he also gave later on some Quite mythical names to his painting, so there was an, another element as well. But the element of of it being a sort of research about color uh, that we need to um, understand as such and um, articulate as such that's often lacking from from uh, from the critical literature.
1: Treating the um, developments in modern art as a form of research, do you feel tempted or inclined to uh, to back up your research as you put it in the form of words with uh with that kind of creative endeavor very much so i mean not i'm not myself
0: um a painter so you know but although but I have dabbled in various creative arts but what I would like to do and what I do up to a point already particularly here at the University of Technology I'm very fortunate to be in an environment where um, we have um, a faculty that involves creative arts as well as um, you know academic disciplines so to to create collaborations with uh, with people involved in creative arts where you can say well look you know um, we, those problems, you know, by, um, by semiotics being able to sometimes, um, ask questions and, uh, expose gaps in, in what people do and, you know, expose what people never do and never try to do with color, you know, um, you could have a dialogue that, uh, and the outcome of it could be, could be uh, of different kinds, writing as well as um, as various forms of, of artwork, and so we have here, you know, creative doctorates, where um, and I, you know, where students are developing not a thesis but a, a work of some kind, it could be an exhibition or sometimes it's a film. Uh, or sometimes it's a music, their musical work, because we got sound and music design here as well. Uh, but that has to be based on, a, you know, on a on a process of research and and discovery uh, that then finds its expression, not in words but in another medium. And for a semiotician who who looks at different media and um, modes of expression and what people do do in a and don't do in them and what they can do in them or not. It is also interesting to think, well, it's not only a matter of describing what is, but it is also a matter of playing a little role in what could be. You know, and um, so I also like, uh, therefore, to draw attention to historical examples where precisely those kind of things happened and where there either was a close collaboration between, uh, you know, researchers or thinkers of various kinds. And artists, or where artists themselves both write and you know uh, about the ideas they 're exploring and give them shape in in, 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 in actual artworks. so that's um, that that's one theme that uh, sort of emerges a little bit in that part of the book, uh, but that I generally feel quite strongly about and um, hope that more that there will become that will be more sort of case studies of
1: Artists as thinkers than we have at present. In the closing section of your book, you go on to talk about the uh, use of color in uh, in terms of constructing persuasive narratives, for example, in, yeah. uh, in sales, sales for uh, things like home decoration, makeup, and so on. Do you feel that there is a, a move away from the uh, interesting color just being the just being the preserve of the artists exploring these, these boundaries and, uh, as you say, researching through the art, to people doing that in quite unexpected and, in some cases, quite mundane disciplines? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, every,
0: uh, and that may not always be the case, but I certainly think that um, things that have been um, demonstrably explored by artists and have been a domain of... Um, Yeah, a very limited uh, domain of experimentation that has a very limited public. You have moved into the the mainstream uh, in many, many different uh, different ways. Um, So um, you know the. All, all, all manner of things that you know, uh, and that's that's a, that's a problem in the sense, the sense for for uh, for um, for art because where does it go? And it's possible for people to still see, you know, uh, an art work as difficult to understand and as don't like it and actually use precisely those same things in their everyday work. I mean abstract art is now part of of the, of all sorts of you know abstract art that was difficult to understand and uh, people so is this really art? Actually, you know, it's part of your your sofa or your uh you know or, or, or of, of everyday objects that you use. And there's, is, there is unremarkable. Just as, um, you know, very uh, atonal and uh, you know electroacoustic music. When people hear it in the concert hall, they say, "This is not for me. This is not the kind of music I like." When they hear it uh, as part of a television series, they don't think twice about it. It's completely normal. If you took the pictures off, it would you would again see how much it is actually like. You know, that's very experimental, a limited audience sort of music. So all these things have have moved into the world, but not standing on their own as they do in in an art gallery or in a concert hall, but being integrated in a multimodal, you know, uh, um, everyday kind of environment where they become much more unremarkable and much more commonplace and sort of are constantly observed, but not necessarily always, you know, consciously uh, thought about. And so they become very much the landscape. You know, they become very much a big part of the landscape in which in which in which we live.
1: Our time is nearly up, so I have to close. But I must ask you, in doing so, about the uh, about the cover art of your book, which is very striking. Yeah, the work by uh, Charles. Ah oh, well, yeah. I
0: just said. Uh, uh, I mean, basically, the first time around, um, they came. I just wanted um, the. Um, uh, the books to 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 have a splash of color and to, um uh, you know, to sort of, um, jump out rather than, um, uh, you know, so that, that was really all. And the, 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 first designs that they sent me from the publishers were very, very pale and very, very geometrical, uh, and very much sort of just, uh, generated with a, a little computer program. And, um, I sort of wrote back and I said, well, I've been disappointed that I would really like, you know, to, um, to uh, the, the cover to make, uh, to, to sort of say, look, color, you know, talks to you in in a general sense rather than. And so um, they said, what kind of thing do you mean? And I sent them a few pictures and they said, fine. What
1: yeah. does this one say to you in particular? I chose
0: it not, to, you know, I, I haven't actually, the truth is I haven't analyzed in detail, but what I wanted it to say in this, as a cover, is um, that color is. Um, not some kind of um, effect that, uh, in this case, in this book, that sort of recedes behind the, um, the foregrounded uh, clarity of the words that are printed on top of it, but it stands there all on its own and uh, asks you a question: What is this? You know, what? What am I going to think about this?
1: Well, David does that very um, emphatically and well, as does your book, and I've uh, much enjoyed talking to you about it. Okay. Thank you very much Good time. Thank you. I've been talking to Theo van Leeuwen about his book, The Language of Colour. This is Chris Cummins for New Books in Language, saying thank you for listening.